see you. We're going to be back over in 1 Timothy this morning. Congratulations to Michael and Liz on their engagement. What a blessing. What a blessing. 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5. And we're going to begin with verse 1. If you'll stand with me as we read God's great truth. You hold the very word of God in your hands. Let's read it. Uh, chapter 5, this is 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 1. It says, rebuke not an elder. Now that's kind of an odd way to start, isn't it? Uh, we'll, we'll learn some things this morning about that. Rebuke not an elder. And that's talking about someone, he's talking to Timothy here, and he's, Timothy is, has, uh, uh, he's given Timothy clear direction, and so when it says elder, he's talking about somebody that's older than you, a man that's older than you. He says, rebuke not an elder, but entreat him, excuse me, <coughs> excuse me, but entreat him as a father, and the younger men as brethren, and the elder women as mothers, and the younger as sisters with all purity. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your direction to us. God, you have, you've given us uh, uh, the truth that we can, we can uh, give our lives to it. Lord, we can follow you with everything we have because it's the truth. We don't have to wonder, okay, is there falsehood here? Is, is this something we shouldn't do? We can follow you. We can trust you, Lord, and we thank you for that. So, God, as we, as we uh, peer into chapter 5, would you teach us what you want us to know so that we can follow you even more closely than we ever have before? And once again, we pray that you would receive the glory of for it all in Jesus' name. I thank you for the song service this morning. Uh, what, a, what a blessing that is. And we pray that through the remainder of the service, you would receive the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. And I want to tell you as well, before I forget, I had left a note. Uh, many of you have prayed for my daughter, Chandra, and she had a little baby yesterday. And I'll tell you what, it was uh, her, her blood, you know, she's just a little thing. And her blood pressure was, was way high, and it would go down to nearly nothing. I mean, it was the strangest thing. And so, uh, you know, a week ago or a little bit over a week ago, they admitted her to Children's Hospital, you know, so they could, when, when the baby was ready, they would, they would be on point. And, and uh, so they, they told her, look, you're not going to go home till it's delivered. And, and so uh, she was 30, I think 32 weeks along, so she's, uh, pretty early here and so my son-in-law called me Friday night and he said boy it's it's, it's going to happen you can tell it's going to happen so we darted up there and she had that little baby yesterday morning and it was a miracle I'm telling you it's an answer to your prayers our prayers but it was uh it's little Eva that's her name and she's three pounds 12 ounces she's a little thing and when I saw her uh, you know it, it's clear that's a miracle from God and so I want to thank you for your prayers. I know that you were praying for my daughter and my, my granddaughter. It's a true blessing. Now, Paul, first of all, let me say we're in part eight. Uh, if you have not joined us before, we're in part eight of uh, 1 Timothy. 
and Paul had left Timothy. Paul is the writer here. He's the one that God, uh, that the Holy Spirit of God breathed these words to. And uh, Paul had left Timothy at a place called Ephesus. And then then Paul went on and traveled up north to a place called Macedonia. That's where Alexander the Great came from and, and all of that. It's up north. And he was spreading the gospel. And he left Timothy, and Timothy was, was just a, what we might call a young man, but Timothy is one of my most favorite Bible characters. It's often t- I think he's oftentimes misunderstood. Uh, sometimes I think people see him as weak. But listen, this young man was, by this time, he had been on the mission field with Paul. Can you imagine being on the mission field with Paul? He was on the mission field with Paul for some 15 years. He is a seasoned missionary. He's a tough guy by this point. He's been through a lot, been through a lot of ups and downs, and Paul had left him at other churches as well that were tough churches. And here he left him at, at Ephesus, and Ephesus was a, uh, a, a heathen place. It was filled with all kinds of, of idolatry. As a matter of fact, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world were right there, was right there in Ephesus. It was a temple uh, built to, it was the Temple of Diana. It was all geared around sex, and um, this was just a place where Satan was having a heyday. And so that's where we are. As a matter of fact, the idolatry, the false teaching that was in Ephesus was, was horrendous, and it was trying to get into the church. As a matter of fact, if you look at for, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3, in light of that verse, the false teaching, looks like, had made its way into the church. And so that is what is going on in Ephesus. Paul instructs Timothy in this epistle. Now, when I say epistle, that's a letter. This is a letter addressed right to Timothy. And so, uh, and he's encouraging Timothy to hang in there. Timothy was ready to throw in the towel. And I, I, think, I believe much of it was um, what we see here in chapter 5. He was being disrespected. And, uh, you know, the job was tough, yes, but he was being disrespected and he was ready to throw in the towel. And Paul says, look, buddy, you've got to hang in there now. You've got to hang tough. Uh, God is counting on you to hang tough and set the example. And so Paul instructs him to deal with this false teaching that was going on. And it was hard, but he says, you, you've got to deal with this. And you can see he, how he advises him. Uh, over there in verse 3, you know, you got to instruct these people. They cannot teach any other doctrine than uh, the, the correct doctrine of God. And so, and when I say doctrine, that is what we hold to be true concerning God, uh, concerning uh, the Bible, concerning salvation, concerning sin. Uh, and on concerning the Holy Spirit, concerning Jesus Christ, uh, concerning Satan. There's a doctrine of uh, of Satan, and so on and so forth. But it's the what we hold to to be true concerning uh, those many things. And so, now last week we examined. As a matter of fact, Paul uses this tool, and it is a powerful tool, and I think sometimes we take it for granted. He uses this tool of being an example. 
That's a powerful tool. As a matter of fact, write these verses down. These are just a few of the verses. If you're a note taker, this morning is a, this is a very uh, important passage to take notes on or on which to take notes. Uh, 1 Corinthians 4.16. You don't have to turn there. Just write it down. 1 Corinthians 4.16. 1 Corinthians 11.1. 1. And Philippians 3.17. Philippians 3.17. And Ephesians, you'll see it in Ephesians uh, and Ephesians 5.1. In those, and those are just some of the verses where Paul uh, encourages the people, he instructs the people to follow him as an example. He's the example. Follow me as I follow Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. So he uses this being an example in, in a very effective way. And so last week, we examined us being examples of the believers. You remember that? Us being examples of the believers, of what a believer looks like in our words, in our conversation or our conduct, uh, in, in our love, how we love one another, uh, in our uh, spirit or following the Holy Spirit, and then uh, that, that's a reference to following the Word of God, and then uh, how we are an example in our faith, and that, that's a reference to faithfulness. Our God wants us to be faithful, not be an adulterer, an adulterer when it comes to our relationship with him. And so having a false God or having something else that uh, is even on the same page with God. I mean, he says, he says I have no, have no other gods before me. And so he, we must not be adulterers with, in our relationship with God. And so uh, we talked about us being an example in our purity. And that's a reference to us trying to be as, trying to lead a sinless life. Now we're going to sin. But we need to try to live a sinless life. That's the example Paul encourages us to follow, and that is found over in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. You can see it there. Now, this morning, we're going to talk about three things, and here are the points this morning. The, the, here is the direction that God gives. And uh, we're going to talk about three things. First, it is essential for us, for you and me, to develop the habit of listening to and properly evaluating rebuke. Now, I worded that just as concise as I could, but, and I'm going to tell you, I'd even told, uh, I'd even told Lyle uh, last week that, uh, you know, he's not able to join us, that he has been sick, and I said, look, uh, Here's what I want you to do is, is read, you, you know, read chapter 5 and get into chapter 6. Start reading chapter 6 because we're going to talk about chapter 6. Well, we're not going to make it over to chapter 6. Once again, God slowed me down. I had in mind to get on over and talk about contentment. That's where I was headed this morning. And God slowed me down. And so here we're going to talk about uh, we're, the first thing this morning is it's, it's important, it's essential that we develop the habit of listening to 
and properly evaluating rebuke. And then the second thing, plan your prayer time. This one hit me like a, uh, like a, a, a steel beam. Plan your prayer time. Plan your prayer time, Craig. That's what I need to do. And then the third thing is labor in the word. We're going to see what that means. Labor in the word. So let's look at the first one. It is essential for us to develop the habit of listening to and properly evaluating rebuke. Rebuke. Now in, cha- in verse 5 there, when it says elder, it's referring, as I said earlier, it's referring to uh, someone older than you. He's talking to Timothy and he's, you know, the, the context here is you must, you must uh, correct these people. They must not be teaching any other doctrine than what is than what you're learning here in the scripture than what's in the scripture and so um but the how do you rebuke them and so he's he mentions the the older men and you can see that in the context he mentions also the younger men okay as as brethren you correct them as brethren the elder women as mothers, you look at, the, look at them as a mother. And then he uh, mentions the younger as sisters, the younger women as sisters. And so rebuke, that was an interesting word as I studied for this. Rebuke, it's a Greek word, and I want to I pronounce this word to you for a, for a special reason. It is the Greek word, and I'm going to do my best to pronounce it. It is a p. Uh, epiplaso, epiplaso, epiplaso. It's a Greek word, rebuke, epiplaso. Now, the reason that I, I wanted to, to get that across to you, epiplaso, is because you're going to see rebuke throughout Scripture. You can see rebuke, and I believe it's down, uh, you'll see the word rebuke down in verse 20 of this passage. You'll see the word rebuke. If you were to turn over to one of the other pastoral epistles, which is Titus, in Titus 2.15, you'll see the word rebuke. But this is the only place that this meaning is used. It is the only place that epiplaso is used. So you'll see rebuke, but it's going to mean something else in these other passages. So this is the only place that this particular Greek word is used. But this, it, it, it means something different. It means to strike upon. It means to chastise someone with your words. It means to upbraid. And so here, Timothy is told not to do that. He's told not to lash out at the older men. As a matter of fact, not to lash out at anyone but to treat them with respect. Paul reminds him of that. Timothy was frustrated. And Paul says, look, don't lash out at them. Don't lash out at them. You control yourself. As uh, in the younger men, you, you treat them with respect as well. And the command here is, is not for Timothy to never rebuke them, never correct them. That's, that's, not, the, that's not the idea. So, uh, uh, it's it's not okay, Timothy. Don't ever correct them. No. But he was not to strike at people with his words in a harsh way. 
You ever done that? Strike at somebody with a, in a harsh way, in an overly harsh re- rebuke. Apart from this particular, particular severe word, in general, rebuke is a part of a pastor's duty. That's what one of the things a pastor is supposed to do, is rebuke. rebuke. And it is, here's what it is. It is simple, clear presentation that someone is wrong, either in their conduct or their thinking. That's the idea of this rebuke. Someone is wrong in their uh, thinking or their conduct. Well, the pastor is... uh, that is a part of his job. Now, it's important to remember as we come through 1 Timothy. Remember, the church is the pillar and the ground of the truth. That's what, Timothy, or that's what Paul tells Timothy over in chapter 4, down in verse 15. The church is the pillar. It is, the, it is, the, uh, it is a very important part of. And it is the ground or the basis of the truth. And so it's an important job of a pastor when someone is going against the truth in his flock to correct them. So uh, uh, that's an important part. See, I told you this was... uh, this was a major direction and and, uh, it's it's one that is hard to preach. Its main goal... The main goal of of this rebuke is not encouragement as much as it is clear, uh, clearly confronting someone with their wrong behavior, their wrong thinking. And uh, in another letter, in in Titus 2.15, here's what Timothy says. Some of you have already turned there and looked at that. He says, rebuke with all authority, with all authority. I thought that was interesting. And so the idea here is never to rebuke harshly, never to be corrected, never to correct someone harshly, but we're to follow, you and I are to follow that example as well. Now, listen carefully to what I'm saying. Some people can't handle rebuke. Some people cannot. They just can't handle correction. They become experts. I've probably done this a time or two. They become experts at criticizing the one that brings through. It's bringing the rebuke, and they're more concerned about their feelings. You ever had your feelings hurt? I have. You have your feelings hurt, and and that person that's trying to correct you, uh, you know, they I start correcting them. Start, uh, you know, and that, that's not the thing we need to do. Uh, there's no doubt that when we do it that way, Satan loves it. Satan loves that. But we live in a world right now that hates rebuke. We live in a world right now that hates correction. Uh, we live in a world that doesn't want to be told, well, you, you know, you shouldn't be doing that. You shouldn't, you shouldn't be doing that. They want to be assured that everything is A-OK. And I'm so thankful. As I was preparing for this, I was thinking about those people in my life that had the courage to correct me. I'm so thankful, whether it was a coach, uh, a mom or dad, my dad had a way of correcting me, or a pastor, a pastor, a youth pastor that had the courage to correct this man. I needed correcting. 
I needed it. So I'm so thankful for those, those guys. No one likes to be rebuked. No one likes that. But a wise person, a wise person, now listen close, uses the rebuke as a valuable means of growth. That's a wise person. Let me read these verses to you. You can write them down. I looked up several of them, and there are more. Proverbs 3, 11 and 12. Write that down. Proverbs 3, 11 and 12. You don't have to turn there. Just listen. Solomon, the wisest man, the Lord says he's the wisest man that ever lived outside of the Lord and that ever will live. He says, my son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, the correcting, the rebuke of the Lord. Neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father, the son in whom he delighteth. Now, we have some young people in here. They've probably been corrected a time or two, maybe even recently. Oh, I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for that. Listen to this one, Proverbs 9, 8. Proverbs 9, 8. It says, reprove not a scorner. See, a scorner in the Bible, there are three types of fools in the Bible. There's the simple fool. He's just simple. You know, he'll believe anything. That's a type of fool in the Bible. And then there's what I would call, I would label it as just a fool. He's just a fool. And then there's that scorner. He has gone down the road of being a fool so long he, is, he doesn't want to be told what to do. He does not want to hear it. He'll even, if you, you try to correct him, he'll come at you or she'll come at you. It says this, Proverbs says, Proverbs 9, 8 says, Reprove not a scorner, rebuke not a scorner, lest he hate thee. But it says this in that same verse, Rebuke or reprove a wise man and he will love you. You see that? See, that's the Bible's way. Now, Proverbs 6.23, I looked several of them up, and there are a lot more. Proverbs 6.23 says this, For the commandment, the word of God, is a lamp, and the law is light, and the reproofs of instruction, when someone is uh, reproving you, the reproofs of instruction are the way of life. Well, that's powerful. Listen to this one, Proverbs 10, 17. He is in the way of life that keepeth instruction, but he that refuseth reproof erreth. You see that? Now, when will I stop needing to be reproved? Probably the day, uh, till the day I die. And the older we get, sometimes we feel like we don't need to be reproved. But I will tell you that the Bible, uh, God uses that as a way to, he uses godly people in our lives to help us discover his will. Did you know that? He uses those. God wants us to know his will. And one of the things he does is he uses godly people to help us discover his will. Now look at the word entreat. It says rebuke not an elder. Now that's talking about that harsh rebuke. But we know from instruction that rebuke is a part of a pastor. But it's the right kind of rebuke. Right kind of correction. Now look at the word entreat. 
It says, but entreat him. Yours may say encourage him or strengthen him or instruct him or teach him. That's what it means when it says entreat. Entreat him as a father. Now, how do we do that? With the truth. With the truth. That's how we do it. With respect. With the goal of helping them become more and more like Christ. That's the goal of rebuke. That's the goal of correction. Helping someone become more and more like Christ. Helping them become examples. Timothy uses, or Paul uses that tool. Now God uses godly counsel, the godly counsel of others, to help us discover his will for our lives. And sometimes that godly counsel comes in the form of rebuke or correction. So it's important for us to develop a good habit of of listening to and properly evaluating rebuke, properly evaluating uh, that correction. Uh, Because the Bible says, some of those verses, two of those verses that I read to you just a moment ago, that reproofs of instruction are the way of life. And once again, we live in a time where people don't want to be rebuked. People don't want to be corrected. It needs to be gentle. It needs to be uh, not harsh, uh, probably, probably behind closed doors, not out where everybody can see it. But uh, that's, that's part of growing and becoming more like Christ. Okay, let's look at the next one. Plan your prayer time. Look down at verse 5. It says, Now, she that is a widow. There are some widows in here. We have numerous widows in here with us this morning. Look at verse 5. Now, she that is a widow indeed, and desolate, trusteth in God, and continueth in supplications, that's requests being made known to God, requests of God, and prayers, notice the plural there, night and day. Now this is a, uh, this is a big one, and we're going to cover it rather quickly, but it is important. Now Paul, in verses 3 through 16, talks about widows. And he, he mentions those that have family, those that have uh, uh, children, those that have relatives that can help take care of them. And then he mentions those that have no one. I'm telling you, the widows need to be taken care of. But he mentions those that have no one, those widows that they don't have anybody. And so it says, that's what it's talking about here in verse 5. He says, now, she that is a widow indeed and desolate. She trusteth in God and continueth in supplications and prayers night and day. Now, all widows may be doing that, but it's talking in this particular verse about those that have nobody else. They have nobody else. You see that? They have no one else. Notice the devotion to prayer. Maybe er earlier in her life, because of all the distractions, because of all the busyness, maybe prayer kind of got squeezed out. Has that ever happened to you? Maybe prayer got kind of squeezed out. But now, all she has is God. And so it says, she continueth, you see that there? She continueth in supplications 
And notice prayers, prayers, plural, night and day. Too busy? Too busy to pray? See, just like Satan wants us, now I'm telling you, just like he wants us to have the attitude to despise rebuke. Because if we listen to rebuke, we might just get on the right path. But just like he wants us to have the attitude to despise rebuke, he wants us to be too busy or too tired to continue in prayer night and day. That's what Satan wants. He wants us to, to be too busy. Now, you know, I love my wife. Some of you have met her. She is a blessing to me. And I've said this before, but I married way up. I needed a lot of rebuke early in my life. But I love my wife. And I love to spend time with her. Yesterday, we spent the whole day together. And I love that. But you know what? Most of the time, when I want to spend time with my, life, with my wife, I plan it. She's important to me. And I make plans, definite plans to spend time with my wife. Now, here's what uh, Jesus said. He said, thou shalt love the Lord thy God. You see where I'm going with this? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy heart and all thy soul, and all thy mind. All. Now, I, I plan when I want to spend time with my wife. And God says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. So just maybe I need to plan my prayer life. I would encourage us to do that. See, if you don't plan your prayer time, there's a very good chance it will get squeezed out. It may not even happen. See, we plan the things that are important to us most usually. We plan. I believe this. I believe the example from Scripture is that Jesus Christ planned. And his was early. I believe he planned to get up early. Sometimes it'll say in there, he got up, he, he, he was there before sunrise, and he was praying to the Father. I want to tell you, I want to tell you about a friend of mine. His name is Glenn. And Glenn is Glenn is just a sweet man. Glenn's a go-getter. And he, Glenn's probably, I don't know, Glenn's probably 80 years old, 75, 80 years old. And Glenn tells a story about going to his grandmother. And I don't know if his grandmother was a widow or not at, at that time. But he tells about going to stay at his grandma's house when he was young. I used to love to do that. My grandma lived out in western Oklahoma. That was fun. But Glenn tells about going to stay at his grandma's house. And uh, all the cousins were there. And they'd all sleep. Sometimes they'd sleep in the front room or sometimes in a, uh, a side bedroom. But one of the things that was always one of the high points is when Grandma went to her room and she started praying. And he said, I mean, it was a tearjerker when I first heard this story. But he said she would pray out loud. 
And she didn't mind people hearing her pray. And she would pray, and she would pray. And he said, us grandkids would be in the other room, and we would be listening for her, because what she would do is she would pray for everybody in her family, and she would pray for them by name. So it was always a high point when you could hear her name, when you could hear her pray your name and pray for Glenn. Lord, I pray for Glenn. That's what she would say. God, help him to be a godly boy. And grow in to be a, a, a godly young man. Help him to follow you all the days of his life. And old Glenn, he could, he could listen to her praying for him. Continuing in prayers night and day. I would say that grandma, she, she planned that prayer time. And nothing took precedence over that. So it's important to make a good habit of listening to and properly evaluating Rebuke. You know, there are going to be some people that come at you and me and they're probably going to not give us the right instruction. They're probably just wanting to lead us down the wrong road. We have to properly evaluate this rebuke. Is this from God? Is God trying to help me here? Is God trying to, to, to say something to me, trying to help me know a, a different direction that I need to go? We need to properly evaluate that rebuke. Not, be a, not, not stiff arm it. But let's listen to it and properly evaluate it. And then plan our prayer time. Now, let's skip down to verse 17. Because verses 3 through 16, Paul is talking about the widows. And I would encourage you to read that. Once again, we have numerous widows right in here with us this morning. Now, this is a touchy one, verse 17. It says, let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of a double honor. Now, listen, if you've not been here before, here it is. I'm not the full-time pastor here. I'm the interim pastor, okay? So this is probably a little bit easier for me to preach over than it would uh, be for a full-time pastor, the full-time pastor. So I'm, I'm what I would call the in-between guy. I love this church. This church has impacted my life. I, I have thought, well, where would I be without the First Baptist Church of Davis? I'm telling you, I love this church. Uh, I've got some skin in this church. This, is a, this church has touched my life. And so, but yet when you run across passages like this, these are hard passages to preach on. Makes it a little easier when you're the interim. It's a touchy one. But we're going to try to follow what the Bible says. And we can see in context here, it says, let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of a double honor. Now, you don't have to write this verse down, but listen to this. You can, or you don't have to turn here, but just write this verse down. Acts 14, 23. Acts 14, 23. We're getting close to the finish line here. Acts 14, 23. Acts 14, 23. This is, uh, Luke is writing here, and he's telling about Paul. And it says, and when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they, commanded them to, uh, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. Did you hear that? When they had ordained elders in every church. Okay? That is the modus operandi, the pattern of church organization of how Paul organized, how the Lord had Paul organized 
the New Testament churches. They ordained elders in every church is what the Bible says. That is the pattern. Okay? Those are the leaders. That word elder in that context means leader. It means counselor. Okay? They're the leaders of the church. Now, write this, write this verse down. And this is Acts 20, 17. You don't have to turn there. Just listen. Acts 20, 17. He's, this is Luke. He's telling about Paul. And it says, And from Miletus... He sent to Ephesus, it's, you know, ironically, we're uh, studying Ephesus right now through 1 Timothy. But he says in Acts 20, 17, and from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus in the same region, and he called the elders of the church. Okay, so there were elders. Notice the plurality there. There are elders at the church of Ephesus, and Paul is calling them. He's going to talk to them. So he says, come, I want to talk to you. And on down in that scripture, on down in that passage, this is Acts 20, 28. Acts 20, 28. In that same passage where he is called the elders of Ephesus, Paul is talking to that same group of elders. And here's what he says. He says, take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed, the, to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. Now let me back up and, and read that again. This is an important passage. Paul is talking to that same group of elders, those leaders. Those are the leaders, the counselors. He says, Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock, which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. Now, that word overseer is bishop, okay? That's the bishop, all right? So we have that terminology. We'll see those two. He's talking to the elders, but he's calling them bishops. He, that's the function. The function of a, of a bishop is he's the overseer. The function of an elder, he's the leader. And it says here, to feed the church of God. That's a reference to the function of a pastor. Do you see that? That's the reference to the function of a pastor. So in this, in this entire passage there, in that little verse, we have him talking to the elders, and he mentions the function of a bishop and the function of a pastor, all wrapped in one. So you have the same function all wrapped in one guy. So the qualifications now, back over in, uh, we went through the qualifications in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Those qualifications are the reference, those qualifications are for that same guy. They're for the elder, the bishop, the pastor. Okay, he's the, he's the leader. And, and there's, a, in those New Testament churches, it was a plurality of them. Okay, in other words, meaning one, it always says elders. He called the elders. So we have these elders. They are bishops. They're overseers as well. And uh, they're pastors. They feed the flock. The word pastor means shepherd. Okay? That's important to, to uh, be reminded of. So when we get down here in chapter 5 and verse 17, he says, let the elders that rule well. He's talking about that same guy. Generally, what would happen 
is one of those elders in that group, in that church, would rise to the level and be the lead pastor, the lead preacher, should I say. That's what James was at the, in the church of Jerusalem. There were elders in the church of Jerusalem. In, in, in the uh, book of James, that's where it says, if you're sick, go before the elders. But James was the, he was one of those elders, but he was the lead pastor. He was the lead preacher. So one of those elders, one of those bishops, one of those pastors is going to be the man that, that steps out front and brings the congregation the word. Okay, that's how that works. And that's in that context, that's verse 17. He says, let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of a double honor. In other words, uh, some churches do this. Some churches try to put a squeeze play on the pastor. They try to put the squeeze play on him. And, uh, well, that guy, he doesn't, you know, all he does, he works once a week. And uh, he doesn't need a whole lot. But that's not the biblical direction. And see, and a lot of times all churches will see. Now, you, I've talked to many of you, and you know what goes into this position. And it's a 24-hour-a-day position. Whoever fills this position, that's why it has to be God's man. It can't be just anybody coming through saying, well, you know, I could do that. Uh, you know, that, how hard could that be? Okay? It, it's a 24-hour-a-day uh, uh, position of leadership, of oversight, of feeding the flock, which includes correcting them when they're straying. So that's what the word rule is. Let the him that rule well. In other words, in this context, uh, context of chapter 5, he is not correcting harshly. He is correcting, but he's doing it gently. He is guiding his flock, the flock, because he himself is a sheep. The, the, he is an under-shepherd. The real shepherd is Jesus Christ, but he is being gentle to to rule that church, rule it well, means that he has oversight of it, he is leading it, he is protecting his sheep, he is correcting them, and uh, that's the idea. Rule well, and then he labors in the word of doctrine. He labors in the word, and uh, in the labors in the word and in doctrine. That has the idea, he is studying the word, he is reading it, he is studying it. Now, I want to tell you about a church that I'm familiar with. As a matter of fact, I was one of the elders at this church in Kansas. And we studied this very verse. We studied it. We poured ourselves into, this, into the Word and tried to determine what does he mean here. Well, we're trying to figure out how much to pay the pastor. And so we studied this verse, and it says what it says. And so this is how we interpreted it. I'm not saying we were right. I'm saying we knew God was given direction and we're trying to follow it this side of eternity. We're trying to figure out what he, he means. And so what we did was we took the, what we thought was the average wage in that congregation and we doubled it. Now I don't know if we were right or not, but I know this, our heart was, let's follow what God says because we have a man in the pastorate up there by the name of Pastor Wayne Johnson that was ruling well. Now you know him. 
ruling well, and he was laboring in the Word of God. I don't mean a little labor. I mean laboring in the Word of God. And so we had to figure out how do we pay this man. How do we pay him? See, laboring in the Word of God, that's an example that every one of us needs to do. Laboring in the Word of God. Write, this verse, write these verses down and let me read them to you. Proverbs chapter 2. And now you've heard me say this. I'm telling you, if we discovered gold out here in the parking lot, every one of us would be out there trying to dig and dig down. I mean, that's, and that's how our devotion to God's Word needs to be. This is Proverbs chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 1 through 5. Solomon says, my son, in those first few Proverbs, he's talking to his son. I appreciate that so much. He says, my son, if thou wilt receive my words, if you receive them when I correct you and hide my commandments with thee, you'll, you'll, they'll be in you so that thou incline thine ear to wisdom. And apply your heart to understanding. Listen, listen what else he says. Yea, if thou criest after knowledge, you want to know, you cry after it. And you lift up your voice to understanding. If you seekest her as silver and searcheth for her as hid treasure. See, that's how our devotion to God's word needs. That's laboring in the word. We're searching, we're digging, we're reading it. He says, then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. See, it's going to take work. To labor in the Word of God is a big deal. That's a big deal. So just like Satan wants you and I to have the wrong attitude regarding rebuke, Satan wants us to stiff-arm rebuke when someone's trying to correct us. He wants us to stiff-arm rather than listening with the right heart, and then evaluating it. He wants us, Satan wants us to reject that rebuke. He wants us also to be too busy and too tired to continue in prayer night and day like those widows were. He also wants us to have too many things and be too busy, have to have too many things pulling on us and be too busy to even labor in the Word, to even read the Word of God. See, that's what Satan wants. Because, see, if we read it and then we understand it, it'll change our lives. And he knows that. He's been playing this game a long time. So everything we've talked about here this morning is extremely important. But I'm going to tell you, laboring in the Word of God is, it is important everyone in here see that's the example that's being set here that's the example so for us to labor in the word we read it we study it we ask God God help me to understand what I'm reading help me to understand it is extremely important so that we can follow it see we labor in the word of God so that we can follow it and so that we can help others follow that's what we're talking about here. Now, everyone in here this morning, including yours truly, everyone in here is a sinner, every one of us. And we all deserve 
eternal punishment in what's called the lake of fire. And that's found over in Revelation chapter 20. That's, as a matter of fact, that's the end. See, hell's not the problem. Here's the problem. is The Bible says in Revelation 20 that hell and all that's in it is going to be dumped into the lake of fire. That's the issue. Now, hell's bad enough, but it's going to, there's going to come a day when hell is dumped into the lake of fire. And so all of us, every one of us in here, we're all sinners, and we deserve that destination. But God, I'm so thankful for this. I mean, I'm telling you now, I was a knucklehead growing up. I had a propensity to go the wrong way. I had a propensity. As a matter of fact, I had this teacher working for me one time. And he said something, you know, I, I mean, you know, when kids change schools, you know, they'll move from one school to the next. He said, isn't it something how, you know, the, the, the rebels usually find one another? Those that, you know, that have the bad attitudes, they usually find one another. Isn't that something? He said that to me. You know, I was one of those. I, now, I didn't really have a bad attitude. I mean, the teachers loved me, but I was a knucklehead, headed in the wrong direction. And uh, I'll tell you, I'm so thankful that God sent His Son. He sent His Son to earth to free us from that destination of the lake of fire. As a matter of fact, Romans 10, 13 says this. It says, Whosoever, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, if you go back into chapter 2 of 1 Timothy, you'll see in there, down about verse 4, that God's heart is that all, and we've, I've, I've mentioned this numerous times as we've gone through this, God wants all people to be saved. That's the, that's the message from Scripture. And he says here, and you, see, you can see it down there in verse 4, chapter 2, you can see what I'm talking about, he would have all to be saved. Now you and I know from reading Revelation that there's going to be a bunch of people that are going to be put in the lake of fire because they did not receive Jesus as their Savior. That breaks my heart, and it breaks the heart of God. You know, God, there, there's some things about God's will that no one can change. But His desired will might not happen. It just might not happen. His desired will for you and me might not happen because of that human uh, that free choice. See, he, he has a will for me, that, and he uses others oftentimes, other godly people, to help sharpen me. He does that to you too, to help sharpen us. But you know, there have been times in my life when I didn't listen to that. I was going to do my own thing. Uh, he, he wants us, his desire is that we are a prayerful people on our knees. But see, too many times I... I let too many things pull on me and pull on me and pull on me. And all of a sudden, this prayer is squeezed out. Well, God wants us on our knees. He wants us, His will for us, for you and for me, is that we labor in His Word. That we study His Word. That's for every one of us. Not just for the, the guy that's filling the pulpit. That's for every one of us. That's His desired will. I, I can stand up here with full authority and say that. Sometimes we get so many things, I'm talking about myself here, we get so many things going that we don't study like we should. But his word says, 
whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, let me ask you this. If there, there's, there's a lot of people in here this morning. And there may be somebody in here that has never, ever, ever called upon Jesus Christ to be your Savior. Am I talking to you this morning? Actually, is God, is God talking to you? Is there someone in here that has never, ever, ever called upon Jesus to be your Savior? And I want to ask you one question. What is it going to take for God to finally get your attention? He wants you. He wants your attention. Now let me talk to the Christians just a moment. Christian, rebuke is a way of life. Correction is a way of life. Have you been stiff-arming that correction? There have been times when I've stiff-armed it. Uh, um, praying. I appreciate Paul talking about these widows that were praying night and day. I mean, prayers night and day. How's your prayer life, Christian? And then are you laboring in God's Word? Brother Michael, if you'll come on up, let's all stand together. Lord, I pray that this morning you would have your perfect will in every life that's in here. In here, I'm so thankful for the, the very fact that every one of us is important to you and you have a will for everybody in here. Now, I'm so sorry for how many times that I've failed you. I've chosen wrong or I've not listened to correction. And you use that godly counsel many, many times. Lord, I've, there have been times when I've been too busy for prayer. I'm so sorry for that. And God, there's been many, many times when I've not studied your word like you've wanted me to. Lord, would you forgive us where we've chosen wrong? And I pray that this morning that whatever whatever is going on in our lives, that you would speak to us and help us to be more like you, more of what you want us to be this morning as we all sing together. In Jesus' name, amen. You pour yourself into God's word maybe this afternoon, that all of us do that, and, and uh, go to prayer. God bless you. Brother Michael, would you close us in prayer?